Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 212 of The Informed Catholic. Episode 212 of The Informed Catholic. Please, if you like my podcast and you enjoy it and you think I'm doing a great job, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It would help my podcast uh, get distributed even more. And it would be nice to see more uh, subscribers. It would uh, encourage me to keep doing the uh, podcast. And I do enjoy uh, sharing the gospel and sharing the news with everyone, uh, what's going on around the world. Um, so far, I don't know if anyone heard, but the, um, there's a big news going around and I actually checked it out. It is true. It's not, um, just talk. YouTube is deciding to put the squeeze on all political conservative podcasts. I mean, um, YouTube channels. I don't know if they're going to do this, uh, on podcasts. They might, um, they, um, I mean, YouTube owns Google Podcasts. They might start su suppressing certain political channels. And that's a really a shame because this is really proving that they, well, I don't know why they think they have the right to do that. I didn't realize that the, um, I don't know what is it, 2.30, that article, whatever it is that kind of gives them protection, the same kind of protection that, is given to utility companies, which I was quite surprised. But um, this is um, this is quite sad because it's proving that the the left, um, especially among many Democrats, they really do hold strong socialist authoritarian opinions, and I that really is uh, worrisome. I've um, started to listen to Father Frank Provone uh, recently. He runs the uh, Priest for Life, and um, I found him uh, very encouraging, very knowledgeable, especially about constitutional law on his YouTube channel. It's, um, it's really fun uh, listening to him, and is also encouraging to listen to his prayers, because he has a, a certain group of people with him, and um, in one of his, uh, YouTube prayer, um, prayer for America, he had someone who was an Orthodox Christian, which I thought was great. And there are a different group of people who, um, from different, uh, denominations that are, um, that join him. And I think it's really wonderful. It's really great to see Christians, Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox Christians coming together um, under the under the one cross because we only have one cross. It's the same hill we all go to, Calvary, Golgotha, and we only have one Lord, and we all sh we all only profess one name, Jesus Christ, and I think that's wonderful. All right, so um, let's begin with our Advent prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For your sorrow has stricken you. I will save you. Fear not, for I am the Lord your God, 
the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop do you heavens from above and let the clouds rain, the just one. O God, who gladdens by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we who now receive with joy your only begotten Son, our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns forever with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I'm going to read the um, uh, Novena to Our Lady of Lords. Whoever Immaculate Virgin, Mother of Mercy, health of the sick, refuge of sinners, comfort of the afflicted, you, you know my wants, my troubles, and my sufferings. Cast upon me a look of mercy by appearing in the Grotto of Lords, you who were pleased to make it a privileged sanctuary where you dispense your favors and where many sufferers have obtained the cure of their infirmities, both spiritual and corporal. I come, therefore, with the most unbounded confidence to implore your maternal intercession. Obtain, O loving Mother, the, gra the granting of my request. Through gratitude forever, I will endeavor to imitate your virtues, that I may one day share your glory. Amen. And then this is a novena to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O most blessed Mother, heart of love, heart of mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayer. As your children, we implore you, you implore your intercession with Jesus, your son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today, especially. And here we make our private uh, special uh, request. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercession, those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help, us, help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with God forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's begin our Advent reading. This is the Thursday for the second week of Advent. Entrance Antiphon. You, O Lord, are close, and all your ways are truth. From of old, I, from of old I have known of your decrees, for you are eternal. This is from Psalm 119. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, and to make ready the path of your only begotten Son, that through his coming we may be found worthy to serve you with minds made pure through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Reading uh, from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 41, 13 to 20. I am your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who grasps your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I will help you. Fear not, O worm Jacob, O maggot Israel. 
I will help you, says the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. I will make of you a threshing sledge, sharp, new, and double-edged. To thresh the mountains and crush them, to make the hills like chaff. When you winnow them, the wind will carry them off, and the storm shall scatter them. But you shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. The afflicted and the needy seek water in vain. Their tongues are parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open up rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the broad valleys. I will turn the desert into a marshland and dry ground into springs of water. I will plant in the desert the cedar, akakia, myrtle, and olive. I will set in the wasteland the cypress together with the plane tree and the, and the pine that all may see and know, observe and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Psalm 145 is the responsible psalm. And the response is, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Sorry about that. A car, a car horn. It is Brooklyn. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. I will extol you, O my, O my God and King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. The Lord is good to all and compassionate to all his works. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Let all your works give you thanks, O Lord, and let your faithful ones bless you. Let them discourse of their glory of your kingdom. Let them discourse of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Let them make known to men your might and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is a kingdom for all ages and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. Amen. The Alleluia Antiphon is from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 8. Alleluia, Alleluia. Let the clouds rain down the just one and the earth bring forth a Savior. Alleluia, Alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 11, verse 11 to 15. None greater than John the Baptist has been born. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. And Jesus said to the crowds, Amen, I say to you, among those born of a woman, 
there has been none greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and, and the violent are taking it by force. All the prophets and the law prophesied up to the time of John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah, the one who is to come. Whoever has ears ought to hear. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's really a, a wonderful thing to hear. I mean, it shows that, you know, I mean, John the Baptist's whole mission was to prepare the way. And there's so much about his life we don't know. Like, when did he... When did he decide to abandon everything? When did he decide to walk away from the life he was born to? He was the son of a high priest, Zechariah, and he, John was a direct descendant of Aaron, a direct descendant from the line of Aaron, the priesthood of Aaron. Only the sons of Aaron, and who knows how many, how many they were, the fact is, I mean, at that time, the sons of Aaron were probably just, you know, reduced because Je um, Zechariah didn't hold that position. Um, the line uh, of Aaron was sort of sidelined in some cases, but there were um, others. I don't know what Caiaphas and Annas, their lines were, but the priesthood became a political thing. At that time, Rome was the only one who can appoint who to choose, who to be high priest. And that's uh, that's exactly what happened. You know, and then, of course, John went out to the desert, preached. Uh, he uh, rocked the boat, you can say, Um got the attention of Herod Antipas and definitely made enemies with Herodias. Herodias hated him. But Jesus uh, did say that, you know, John was Elijah and he did came, but he they did with him whatever they wanted to do. I think he was insinuating that uh, definitely probably the high priesthood was behind with Herodias how to get rid of John the Baptist. And they chose the birthday of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Herod Antipas. Herodias uh, used her daughter to dance. And dance, uh, dance she did. Herod uh, Antipas uh, was a very lustful man. And at his birthday party, that's exactly what he, uh, you know, he fell for it. And she used him by swearing an oath to the dancing girl that he'll give her half of his kingdom, even the throne of her mother. I'm sure she enjoyed hearing that. And then, of course, that was when they got him. Just ask me what you wish. And she, he said this in front of all his guests. And she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And he had to keep his promise. And that was the, I mean, I like to think of John as the first martyr, but I think he is the last of the Old Testament martyrs. 
the last of the Old Testament prophets, but he sort of was like the bridge when you think about it. The last of the Old Testament prophets and the, and the first prophet to announce the forerunner of the Messiah. You know, it's something to think about. I mean, especially what we're going through today, right? What we're going through with all the the things that was, was were happening and uncertainty about the church and uncertainty about about the you know the Christian world now and our leadership is not exactly a leadership that we want, but church history has shown that the church is always going to have trouble. It's always going to have that. If you study church history, especially the early days of the church, you'll find out that the church has always been defined by a crisis. Has always been defined by crisis and trouble. My friend Henry said to me that it's not peaceful times. With, for example, the creed. Yep, the Nessing Creed. That was put together after the crisis of Arianism, after several crises of different forms of heresies that came along. When you look at the Old Testament, right, the question about circumcision arose because certain Christians who wanted to keep their Jewish practices were, you know, Made, brought up an argument. And what did you do? You had a council in Jerusalem, the first apostolic council, the first, a sort of a council where they got together and they debated what to do about now these non-Jews that were entering the faith. Should they not be circumcised? Should they not keep kosher? Should they not observe the law of Moses, practice the, the purification rules? And if you look at it, James sort of settled it. Look, let's not impose on them what we have difficulty keeping. He didn't dismiss the Jewish Christians. He let them practice their rituals and and everything. But let the Christians, the, the, the new Christians, the Gentile Christians, just keep the simple rules. In other words... You do your thing and we'll, and we'll just limit it since Jesus himself never, you know, uh, he obviously gave them the power and he, Jesus did say that whatever, whatever, um, you know, about food, that nothing that you eat will defile you. It's only what comes from the heart, but they weren't ready to. To, to break away from those rules because it was that was their that was their cultural identity. Well, well, we have we have crisis today, and we're going to see some more. When it's not going to be the end, I have a strong feeling that what we're going to go through for the next couple of years is going to be pretty um, interesting, scary, and it's going to be historical. Um, 
we'll see what happens. I mean, right now we're going through an unbelievable historical time along globally and as well as nationally. And um, that's the thing. What, you know, what exactly is going to happen? We'll have to see. You know, I'm still confident that I think that the Trump's victory uh, legal battle is going to be a big monumental change in the direction of the company. I mean, of the of the country, excuse me. And I think what we're seeing now, I think it's a good thing, especially since now we see how YouTube is 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 planning to censor people. I think we're beginning to see where, the, how far this socialism, how far this authoritarianism, uh, oligarchy of power has on the left. It's, it's elitism to want to control and define truth. And we're going to see this crisis in this country redefine and remold the country. I think it's going to give us a new identity. It's going to mold who we are in this 21st century. And I think along with what's happening with the church, much of it is going to redefine um Catholics, Christians, into something new and different. I think a positive conservative movement, and I think we're going to see this even more nationally. I don't know what, but I think the crisis is doing that. All right, I'm going to end it here, and I'm going to go to the uh, what we're going to read in the next chapter. All right, so we're going to continue um, the um, nativity narrative from uh, Jim Bishop's book, uh, The Day Christ Died. It mainly focuses on the passion, but he did write a chapter uh, called Background Jesus, and he, and he definitely focuses on um, this part here on the birth, the uh, early years. So... Um, Let's go, let's read. Um, I'm going to start off from uh, here. Okay, let me just read, a, go a little further back. All right. At that time, Caesar Augustus in Rome decided after holding council that an Emperor could not get an accurate count of his taxes unless he knew how many subjects he had and where they came from. So he issued an imperial um, edict that in his domain all subjects were to return to the city of, of, the, of the father of their family, there to be counted. He knew that this would work uh, hardship on many. He knew that the economic balance would be ups would be upset, but his reply to such criticism was that to prevent people from being counted twice, or not at all, in the case of transient, each would go to the abode of the fathers at the beginning of winter. Then the census could be made. Mary did not want to make the trip. The normal maternal in uh, the the normal maternal instincts within her was opposed to this. Joseph told her that they would have to go to Bethlehem and that it was not a matter of discussion. It was the law. 
by road, they would go south about 90 miles and would pass through the holy city of Jerusalem on their way. This may have mollified Mary a little. It is doubtful that she had ever seen Jerusalem or Solomon's temple. She sat sideward on the little gray ass that Joseph used to deliver finished work. Jews seldom took the direct route through Samaria because they believed the entire country was defiled. They traveled by way of the Jordan Valley along the banks of the river in Jericho and then returned west to Jerusalem. Families averaged about 10 miles per day at at 10 miles per day. At night, they paid for a little space in the public rooms of the various inns. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary was in labor. Joseph hurried to the inn, which was on, which was on top of a cliff facing the shepherd's hills to the east. And while Mary waited outside with the animal, he explained his urgent need. Under Jewish law, cases of this type require the immediate services of a midwife. But Mary had made it plain that she was not worried about this. What she wanted more than anything else was privacy. Joseph discussed the matter uh, with the proprietor of the inn. Joseph discussed the matter with the proprietor of the inn. The owner threw up his hands. Did the carpenter understand that this town was flooded, bulging with people? Did he know that all the people of the family of David had returned and they had filled all the homes in the city and had jammed the inn and were sleeping in the streets and out in the hills, a room, privacy, impossible? The carpenter, the carpenter was a silent man. He asked quietly where a man could go with his wife to have a baby. The proprietor consulted his wife. The, the night was chill, the stars were cold, the shepherds dozed with their cloaks over their shoe over their noses. Where the staple below, it was hardly a fit place to deliver an infant, but it would be warmer than outside, and no more guests could be admitted. Even the t the staple was full of animals on this night, but Joseph and Mary were welcome to the space. The young. The young bride stood outside in the chill dark, holding the donkey. She was tired. The chalk of the road whitened still further her own wan face, her hands, her feet, her bones ached, and she knew that her time had come. When her husband came from the, the hospice of Kamen, he brought news which to him was humiliating. To her it was a relief. The cliff on which the, the inn stood was shaped like the rounded bow of, of a huge ship. Two trails led down to the side like a dark bow wave and met halfway down the hill. There Joseph led Mary. He apologized. He said that he was sorry. He had not been able to find better lodgings. He was ashamed that as a husband he had failed her in her time of need. He had not even found a midwife. And so at the age of 15, the singularly blessed young woman would have to undergo this trial alone, just as a, thir just as a 34 years from now, uh, from now, her son would have to undergo, undergo a, his trial alone. 
Mary had been told almost from babyhood that the ways of Yahweh are mysterious indeed, not to be plumbed away by humans if it was his will that the Son of God was to be born in a cave under an inn. Mary would not question the wisdom of it, although she might permit herself the small hope that the place was clean. The discouraged bridegroom led his spouse into the stable. He fixed and hung lamps, looked at the staring, blanking, blinking animals, and collected sufficient straw for a pallet. He took the water bucket from the ass and went out and filled it. He wanted to build a fire, but there was no dry wood in the hills, and he went back up to the innkeeper and brought some charcoal. The fire was built outside the entrance of the cave. When there were big goatskin, uh, big goatskin bag had been emptied of pots and dishes and cups, he led the donkey inside. Then, after a whispered conversation with Mary, he went outside and left Mary alone. In the ruddy light of the fire, he... he he heated, he, he heated the water and mumbled prayers which begged for mercy. He tried to keep busy. When an animal snorted, Joseph jumped. He crouched beside the fire, moving the coals. And when they had stopped smoking, he edged them and toward the cave. The, the proprietor's wife might have come down to see whether Mary needed help. No one came. The time was slow and contained infinite loneliness. The pendulum of it was in the uh, systolic and dialectic pulse of two hearts, one beating slowly with a heavy effort and the other swift and shallow as that of a baby rabbit held in the, in the hand. Time would not be hurried, nor would it be slow further than, than its own steady pace. It went on and on, and Joseph, crouching by the gray furried amber saw a new and bright star over the mountain of Moab. <clears throat> she called him. He went inside, timidly, noting the plums of breath from the animals, and he saw Mary crouching beside a manger. In it, in it were the broad bolts of a white swaddling clothes she had brought, and bending far over he could look inside the little tent of a cloth and see the red face of a tiny infant. This Joseph said to himself, is the one of whom the angel spoke. He dropped to his knees. This was the Messiah. I'm going to stop here. And, uh, I like the way he did that. He took the passage and he he meditated on it. But he was, you know, Jim Bishop is using the Ignatian. I think a lot of it seems to be influenced from St. Ignatius of Loyola. You know, putting yourself in the story, visualizing the story. Maybe even pretending to be the character a little bit. But, you know, I mean, I don't think we have to go that far, but we could ask ourselves, like having a dialogue with God. And, you know, Jim Bishop, if you read the introduction, he talked about uh, the different people he talked in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem, 
Um, he talked to archaeologists. He talked to scholars. He talked to theologians. He interviewed them. He went to different museums. And he read all the different books just to read his own personal research. He's not a, he's not a, a theologian. And he was not a biblical scholar. And he's not an archaeologist. He was a journalist, and but he is, in a, in a sense, a good historian. But that's what he did. He visualized it. He imagined how these events played out. How did it play out? How did these things happen? You know, what was it like? Like I said, I don't believe Mary and Joseph would have traveled alone. I personally think there would have been family members with them. I, you know, I mean that that image that we have of a man with a woman riding a donkey, looking, you know, traveling alone over the hills. That's what we visualize. That's us. We created that narrative. The story was, I'm sure, when it was written. St. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just stuck to the basic fact. You know, he didn't go through all the details. He could have written it, but maybe the Holy Spirit decided just to stick with the basic detail. We're not given a lot of details. You notice how the story is very basic. Even when you read the gospel, I mean, the passage, it's very, very basic. They don't give you, you know, like a, like a historical novel. No, he, they just keep through basic details. The other extra stuff, if there were people with her, if there were people with Mary and Joseph when they traveled, it's obviously was left out. But he obviously, I, you know, he, Luke says he, he interviewed, he went, he, investigated everything thoroughly and he and i'm sure he did but i'm sure he also under the influence of the holy spirit was told what to leave out it, you know i don't think i don't think they're wrong because they you know they didn't want to go through too many details i guess they didn't want to lose the basic message that jesus christ was born all right, Jesus Christ was born. Jesus Christ is the word God incarnate. The main message is Jesus, not a historical journalistic novel. And, you know, this is what happened. I think, you know, it's it's a wonderful way of, of meditating on this. And I think it's great. Now, you don't have to agree with Jim Bishop with every how he how he uses his his journalistic skills or to the details but that, but in a sense, really, I think it's not necessary. I think he tried, he wanted to focus on Jesus. I think like Luke, he focused on Jesus. He didn't want to lose the message with too many details. It, the main message is Jesus Christ, plain and simple. Okay, we're going to end it here. So um, let's um, say an Our Father and a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
As we forgive those who trespass against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God bless, and I'll come back with another one soon.